Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. Um, I, I uh, watch Dave Ramsey and I, I've been listening to his program for years and that's scary, you all. A million dollars in debt and they're 29 years old. Um, guys, uh, I love what Dave said to this lady that this is a spiritual problem. It's not a financial problem. It is a spiritual problem. And because it is a spiritual problem, it only has a spiritual solution. There are no financial solutions to spiritual problems. There are no legal uh, solutions to spiritual problems. And so that's why we're doing this series because calls like that are becoming more and more frequent. I love the fact that he says this, that bad financial situations many times are results of brokenness within us, okay? Or, uh, or ignorance in our hearts. And that's why giving a few tips here or there aren't gonna, aren't gonna change anything, okay? It rarely works. Now, so if you guys haven't noticed, we're going to be doing a financial series for the next five weeks, okay? And ever since I entered the ministry, I've heard the criticism. You've heard it too. Maybe you've even said it, that all the church talks about is money. You, I've heard that. It's very interesting because that implies that the church is alone in talking about money. Uh, but it, it's not. Everywhere I go, people are talking about money. Just this past uh, week at the coffee shop, I overheard a couple talking about saving for retirement. They weren't investing enough in their 401k. Uh, so they were talking about that. I go on the radio, they're financial guru, gurus talking about getting out of debt, transferring balances of credit cards, doing that dance. There are charities advertising you know, their cause and, and asking for you to support them. Uh, more often than not, just a normal conversation, people come up and talk about Things. They're talking about purchasing a home, what the interest rate is, uh, you know, what kind of rate they got on their first home. I hear people talking about the affordability of college or the pain of student loans. People are talking about money all the time. Okay, We're literally surrounded by people who talk about money all the time. But the church has heard the criticism and we decided not to say anything at all, except at offering time. Okay, that's the only time you ever hear the church addressing money. And in the meantime, we have couples like the one we just saw that are a million dollars in debt. They're drowning. They have no clue what to do. They either didn't listen to the people around them or the people around them didn't speak up. And they're finding themselves in all kinds of trouble. And the church is not talking about the vast wisdom about finances is found in the Bible. Now, I, 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 we have to own this. Um, really do, uh, that, that the church has not done a good job of talking about the wealth of financial knowledge, of which giving is like this. But it's like maybe 10% of the entire wealth of knowledge when it comes to, uh, to, to finance in the Bible. Uh, but we're not speaking about it, and so we're getting more and more headlines like this. I read this in the Daily Caller. Check this out. Americans are currently beset by record levels of debt, and their financial burden could further increase thanks to rising interest rates, inflationary prices, and the looming end of the student loan moratorium. Total household debt, get this, climbed to a new high in the second quarter of 2023, reaching $17.06 trillion, with credit card debt exceeding $1 trillion for the first time in American history. We're not getting better 
at credit cards, you all, were getting worse. According to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, as interest rates stay high, costs continue to rise for the expenses like housing and cars and student loan payments resume, the amount of debt may rise, according to economists who spoke to Daily Caller News. Those are the headlines going on right now, you guys. To say that we're in trouble is an understatement. And we need to be hearing what God's word has to say about it. Because had we followed what the Bible said about finances, those headlines wouldn't exist. Okay? And we would all be in a much better place. And, and, but the problem is this. Before I get into it, the problem is this. And I, as a pastor, I have to own it. Okay, I'm going to own it for the whole church. I'm going to own it for all pastors. When people say that all the church talks about money, what they really mean is all the church talks about is giving. Okay, And I get that. That's valid. That's fair. That's a fair criticism. And I'm owning it right now for, for, for everyone. And the, but that really upsets me because the Christian ethic, like I said, the financial is this wide and giving is this. And so we're going to be talking about the whole thing, what the Bible says about everything. The Bible says so much about uh, 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 what generosity is a part, but it's golden if we live it out. It is about saving, about not letting finances determine your heart, not making emotional purchases, uh, living, having a plan for your money, having a plan, thinking two generations down the line. The Bible tells us to do all of those things, and we have neglected those things, and the church has neglected to teach us. So let's just get that out of the way. But well, that's what we're talking about this series, and I hope it blesses you. And I hope that you are able to take it home and say, God, I had no idea your word had this for me today. That's what we're going to talk about. So today, guys, we're talking about five truths about money today. Five truths about money. And if you want to follow along, there, there, right, there's going to be an uh, outline on the screen. You can go to Uversion, pull up our, our uh, uh, Bible app. I mean, pull up our, our outline there, take notes, do whatever, write this down. Make notes, whatever, because what you're about to hear today, you can walk home and apply right now. All right, no, truth number one is this. This is the truth number one. It's all his. The name of the series. It's all his. Not one thing you have is yours. And when you understand that, the world opens up. Psalm 24, 1 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, everything is his. Everything. And you're like, well, that's not true. I paid for my car. I paid for my house. Okay, wonderful. Take it with you when you die. If it was yours, you'd be able to take it with you when you die. See, everybody learns this truth. You either learn it the easy way when we're living, or you learn it the hard way when you die. Okay? Nothing is yours. If it was, you could take it with you when you die. It's all staying here no matter what you say or think or do. And I can hear the people say, yeah, but, but I can determine who it goes to. I can give it to people that, that, that I want to give it to. Well, King Solomon in all his wisdom wrestled with this 3,000 years ago in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he says this. I hated all the things I had told for under the sun because I must leave them to one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person is wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured effort still in the sun. This too is meaningless. That was, I think that was a veiled shot at his kids. You get that? Who's going to be getting it? His kids? Well, who knows they're going to be wise or foolish? Okay? You spoiled little palace brats. You're going to get everything I work for. And who knows if you're going to use it wisely or foolishly. What he's wrestling with is this truth. 
He owned none of it. It stayed. It's all God's. But you guys know why he was wrestling with it? You know why he hated the stuff? Because he really believed it was his. He believed it was his, and he felt like God was being unfair by taking it from him and having to give it to someone else. And that was unfair because I worked for it. You see what's going on in his heart right here? Same thing's going on in all of our hearts, unless you have gotten the truth that it's all his. All right? The despair came because he didn't acknowledge the truth. It's all God's. He was worried about where his stuff was going to go after he died. Okay? That betrays that he thinks it's his. When you realize this truth, that it's all his, all of a sudden things get a lot more joyful. Tons more joyful. You realize it's not up to you. It's God's stuff, not mine. He's responsible for it. Uh, guys, we, the stress and aggravation, the worry and anxiety, where does all that come from? It's from taking on something that was never meant to be yours. You think that all the stuff you have, all the, the money you have, your property, everything, you think it's yours, and therefore all the stress and aggravation and anxiety hits you. Well, when you realize it's all God, you can release it. You don't own it. You're just a manager for a little while. All of a sudden, you can hold these things lightly. And it doesn't really matter what happens to them because, hey, it's not mine anyway. It's really not mine. We humans have willingly and purposely made our lives far more complicated than God ever designed them to be. Do you understand that? That God did not design life to be full of anxiety and depression and worry and stress. You understand that? We have done that to ourselves. Because we have kicked God off of the ownership plate and put ourselves there and now taken on problems that only God can handle. Get, I, I'll tell you this, I'm not God. I don't have his wisdom, I don't have his energy, I don't have his ability, and yet I'm trying to do his job. And that's why you're so anxious and stressed and worried because you're trying to do a job that was never meant to, do, never meant to be yours. It's all his. He's responsible for it, okay? Psalm 50, 10 through 12, he says this, For every animal of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, the insects of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. And when you come around to that, that it's all his, the car that I drove in today, my Maxima, it's not mine. I'm borrowing it from God. All of a sudden, you hold it a lot less dear. These clothes, this church building, the, the dollars in your bank account, the chair you're sitting on, it's all his. Everybody say that with me. It's all his. It's all his, okay? And therefore, whose job is it to worry about it? His, okay? When you understand this, you get an entire new relationship to money and finances, Truth number two is this. If you, don't, if you don't get truth number one, nothing else is going to make sense, okay? Nothing else is going to make sense. If you don't get a hold of truth number one, then don't listen because nothing else is going to make sense. But truth number two is this. If you don't have a plan for your money, someone else will. You either learn that the easy way or you learn it the hard way, okay? Proverbs 23, 5 says this. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. How many of you all have had your income sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Biblical truth. There are all kinds of people out there that have a plan for your money. And they do not have your best interests at heart. 
Okay? If you don't have a plan for your money, someone else will. Okay? Uh, I, as, a, as a financial counselor, what I love to do, I love to sit down with couples. I love to sit down with people and come up with a plan for your money. Look at your income. Look at your expenses, how we can trim. And, and most people have no idea where their money is going. No idea. They have no plan for it. That's the, the people that live paycheck to paycheck to paycheck, okay, have no plan for their money, and therefore, people with a plan for that are winning. See, Proverbs 21.20 says this, the wise store up choice food in olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Fools gulp theirs down. Uh, the payday, uh, I, I want to, um, there's this amazing picture of, uh, of this uh, orangutan sitting on top of a pile of bananas, and it says payday. And the other one of him sitting there like with his head uh, two, versus two days later when your money's gone, okay? Uh, I, I, I was introduced to this concept when I was on staff at a church. I don't know if you guys know this, but pastors are terrible managers of money. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, ask a banker if it's, a safe, if it's safe to loan uh, uh, money to a pastor. Anything, any profession that starts with a P, plumbers, painters, pastors, uh, I, I think policemen, I can't remember, there are five P's that bankers talk about, and pastor's one of them. He, my, I was talking to this banker, and he goes, yeah, <clears throat> pastors are some of the worst when it comes to loaning money. I guess they just figure God will pay for it all. They take on all this debt, and God will pay for it, okay? So pastors are terrible, in general, money managers. I, I, I was on staff at another church, and we got done with staff meeting, and, and it was about lunchtime, and one of the guys uh, said, hey, it's payday, guys, we can go out to lunch. And I thought to myself, what difference does payday make? All of a sudden, all of a sudden you have money and, and you didn't yesterday? I said, this is a new concept to me. And if you're that kind of person, hey, it's payday, I can spend. You have no plan for your money, someone else does. Okay, I've heard the friends of mine joke, why is there always so much month left over at the end of the money? You heard that? Yeah, well, the Bible calls you a fool because you gulped your paycheck down. Remember, fools gulp theirs down. The wise store up choice food in olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. The Bible refers to you as a fool. You gulped your paycheck down. It's gone. You have no idea where it went, what you spend it on, what to do if you have a crisis tomorrow. Okay? Whenever I teach finances in small group settings, um, I've, done, I've been teaching finances. By the way, I'm, I'm a Dave Ramsey certified financial coach. Okay, I've, I've, I've been through the training. I've, I've applied this in my life, and I love it. It's incredible. Um, but whenever I teach finances, I always start off with this question. You guys will love this. It's my favorite question. It's incredible because I love the reaction when I ask it. The, the reaction. And some of the guys that have taken my class uh, know exactly what this question is. I say, starting at age 18, we'll just we'll, we'll forget the first 18 years of your life, but starting at age 18 to now, how much money have you wasted? And the groans, the laughs, the chuckles, the face fall, it, it is, it's, it's every person in every class. So I'm going to ask you that question too. Since age 18, some of you are close to that. Some of us are pretty far away from age 18, okay? But here's the question. How much money have you wasted? Can you even count it? You know, the average person tells me more than quarter million dollars. 250 just gone. Sprouted wings, it's gone. No idea where it went, no idea, no plan for it, nothing. A lot of you guys' numbers are a lot bigger than that. 
I've heard people tell me they've wasted a million. And so I follow up. I usually, I, usually, I, I ask them, I said, have, had you had a plan for that money, where would you be sitting right now? If you had actually sat down and thought it out and had a plan, where would you be now? Most of us will be working because we want to, not because we have to. Amen? Okay? So I usually find a guy about, who's about 40, about 10 years younger than me. And I ask him what his number is, and I say, that was the last 20 years. What about the next 20 years? I said, one of the sayings in recovery, if nothing changes, nothing changes, right? I said, so you wasted that much the last 20 years. What about the next 20 years? See, guys, if you don't have a plan, the next 20 years is going to be exactly like the previous 20 years, okay? And in 20 years, you're going to be sitting there still with your head in your hands with that number doubled or tripled if you don't have a plan, okay? A plan, we call that a budget. A budget is simply telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. And if you do not have a budget, if you do not have a plan, somebody else out there does, and they've been winning, they've been kicking your butt, haven't they? Okay? Well, let's get a plan. If you don't have a plan for your money, someone else does. That's truth number two. Truth number three is this, that we are managers, not owners. We are managers, not owners. Jesus told this amazing parable that has so much to, to relevance to us today. Check this out. This is in Matthew 21, 33 through 41. Read along. Listen to another parable. There's a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a well around it, uh, a wall around it, uh, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. All right, so who's there? He's the owner. Who's there now? Tenants, right? Renters. Okay, all right. Make sure we got it. They don't own it. They're renters. All right, here we go. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. When the tenants saw the son, they said, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they, threw him, they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches who wretched in, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. So why did they act like they acted? Because they forgot they were renters and they thought they owned it. And when the owner, the rightful owner, came to get to enforce the agreement, he rented it out. The, the, the cost of renting was you got to give me some of the produce. That's, the, that's what they agreed to, okay? That, in the parable, that's what they agreed to. Well, the renters started thinking they were the owners and they resented the real owner coming in and, and taking what was theirs. Well, that's not us, is it? That couldn't be us. That could not be a parable about us, could it? That we, anybody, anybody, uh, got, does God owe anybody in here? Did you, did you, uh, did you pay him and he borrowed money from you and he owes you? Uh, did anybody pay a cover charge to get in this place? Anybody pay a cover charge to get in this place? Uh, I didn't. Did, I, did, did any of you guys educate me? Did any of you all do anything to deserve to be born? Did you pay somebody and, or did you earn being born? No, not really. It was a gift, right? 
Okay, the earth is Lord's, everything in it is his. So you and I are his, everything we have is his, but we are acting like the, like the tenants here. And we are resentful when God says, hey, this is mine. Okay, we're managers, not owners. And we bring this home. Let's say that you go to a meeting with your investment guy, your banker. Okay, you've got a bank account there. You put money there. You guys follow me? Okay. You walk up, you're like, okay, I want to make a withdrawal. I want to get my money out. And he gets a deer in the headlights look. Um, uh, and you're like, what's going on? And he goes, oh, you know, that, um, that money that you put in your account and kind of gave me, um, it's not there. And you're like, what do you mean it's not there? He goes, well, you know, there was this really cool wave runner that I wanted. You know, we have a house on the lake, so I needed a wave runner. So I, 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 I took your money and I bought that. You know, my kid needed a new car, so I, I, I bought that. And, and we had this really cool vacation we went on, you know, and we used it for that. What would you do? I know what you all would do. Y'all would go across that desk and y'all would be grabbing him by the, you know, by the, by the collar saying, I want my money, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Well, guys, I hate to say it. That's exactly what you and I have done to God. We have mismanaged what he's given us because we think it's ours. Okay? We are God's investment people. It's all his. He gives us what we have, and he says, I want you to use it for this, 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 this and this. And we're like, hmm, nah, I think I'm going to do this, 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 and this. See, guys, we're managers, not owners. And so the question I ask you is this, Catalyst Christian Church, you dearly beloved people, I ask you this, have you been a good manager of God's money? Have you been a good manager of God's property? If he came up to you and said, hey, these are my investments, how are they doing? Would you be able to look him in the face and say, yeah, I've sent it everywhere you wanted me to send it. The house that you wanted me to get, that's the one we got. The car you wanted me to buy, that's the one I got. The, pe- the, the, uh, the people you wanted me to help, I helped those. The, 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 the missionaries over, you know, over in India and North Korea that, that, that you wanted to go, we sent it there. How many of you all could honestly say that? <clears throat> if you've not been a good manager of God's property, then you really view yourself as an owner. But guys, we're managers. Guys, the worst financial mistake I ever made, I'm so glad my wife is not here this morning because this is painful. My, by the way, the reason my wife is not here, my son-in-law, Justin, is getting baptized down in Knoxville at his church down there. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was... He was uh, uh, baptized as an infant in the church, but he wanted this for himself, so he's doing that. My mom and dad and my wife are down there, and we're so proud of him, but that, that's why she's not here. So I can actually say this with, without having to look her in the face. Okay, the worst financial mistake ever made. Uh, it's time to buy a new car. Not a new car. We don't buy new cars, but it's time to buy another car. And uh, a friend of mine had a Mercedes for sale, an old 1987 uh, Mercedes. It had 190,000 miles on it. It was a piece of junk. Okay, it had rust on it, uh, the, the, the car bounced, it had a, had a warp can, everything like this. But it was a Mercedes. And I called, uh, I, it was a, being sold by a friend of mine, 
I really liked him, and uh, price was very low, several thousand though. And I went to my wife and said, hey, let's, let's get this car. This car's going to be great. She looked at me and she goes, that car's a piece of junk. Don't buy that. We, we, we can get something else for, for the same money. Get something with less miles on it. And I'm like, but I'm the one that knows about cars. So she goes, just call my dad, please. I'm like, your dad? Okay, fine. So I called her dad. And, uh, and I said, hey, here's the deal. What do you think about this? He goes, no, that's a bad, that's a bad idea. You can get, you know, there, there's a car. I'm looking at a car right now for that same money with only 60,000 miles on it. I'm like, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about. So, so I went and bought the car. And to say that it was humble pie for Dave Kibler is an understatement. Because I had two people, and my wife was one of them who told me it was a bad purchase, okay? And it wasn't just a bad purchase. I realized that I did not pray about it. I didn't seek the Lord about what car to get. I disregarded godly counsel because I was arrogant, because I was prideful, and I paid for it big time. And it was the biggest, worst mistake financially I've ever made in my life. That was about uh, more than 20 years ago. It was probably 20, 22 years ago. And I learned my lesson that I need to manage God's money. God had a car for us. Had I listened. He had a good car for us. Had I listened. And the same thing, when you need purchases and you need things, God has those for you. Matthew 6 says that he knows you need them before you even ask him. He has it for you if you are humble enough and not prideful enough to listen. Learn this the easy way. Don't learn it the hard way like I did. Learn it the easy way. I'm telling you, if you need a car, if you need a house, if you need home, or if you need whatever, he has it for you. He will lead you and guide you in the right place. Manage his money right. Send it where he tells you to send it, and you will always be fine. Learn it the easy way. Can you hear me? Can you guys hear? I, I, guys, I'm still embarrassed about that. Awful. You don't learn it the easy way, you learn it the hard way. Truth number four is this. What we believe is most important gets our money. Truth number four, what we believe to be most important is what gets our, in life gets our money. Matthew 5, 19 through 21, Jesus says this. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store, up treasures for your, store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As a pastor, I hear a lot of stuff. Okay, People tell me all kinds of things. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but a lot of times people try to impress the pastor um, it, it, that's why I don't tell people I'm a pastor a lot of times in groups uh, because the second they find I'm a, I'm a pastor, the cussing stops. Okay? And they start telling me what church they go to even though I hadn't been there in 20 years. You know, this kind of stuff. Okay? All right? Well, guys, I don't put much stock in what people say is important, what they think is important. I really don't. Because it, words are meaningless when it comes to that. Uh, I know what's important to you. I know what's important to you. So does everyone else. You know how? You spend money on what you spend, what, what's important to you. I want to know what's important to you. I don't have to listen to you. I just look at what you spend money on because that's what's important to you. 
Whatever gets your two most valuable resources, your time and your money, is what matters to you. I love the saying, I love the saying, we live what we believe, the rest is just religious talk. I'm gonna paraphrase it and make it even more painful. We fund what we believe, the rest is just religious talk. Okay? And don't argue with me on this, you know it's true. You know as well as I do that no one is serious about anything unless you put money towards it. You're not serious about anything. Uh, uh, October 24th, a team of four people from this church, myself, Rowan, Sam, my son, and Tony Gerling are headed to India for a mission trip. Okay, we're gonna, we were supposed to go to Nepal, but civil war is about to break out and Christians are being persecuted and our, our missionary over there canceled the trip. He's actually hiding in India right now. Please pray for him. We're going to India. But we weren't going until we bought plane tickets. We weren't going. We could say we were going, but until we actually put money, on, money down, we weren't going. You guys know that, okay? We, we bought plane tickets on Friday. We, now we know we're going. Now we know we're serious about going because we put money towards it. And you're not serious about buying a house or buying a car or buying anything until you put earnest money down. I, how many of you all have ever sold a car or sold a house? I have, okay? Now, think how foolish you would be if you have a house for sale and someone contacts you and says, yeah, I'll buy your house. You're like, okay. That doesn't mean anything, does it? That means zilt. That means squat until they put earnest money down, right? You would not even take that house off the market if they did not put money towards it, would you? Because you'd be a fool. Until someone puts money down, they might as well not even uh, contact you. Words are meaningless, okay? And it's amazing that we know that truth, yet Christians will still promise that they are committed to their faith without putting anything towards it. Newsflash, no you're not. In God's kingdom, if God's kingdom is not getting your finances, you're not serious about your faith. And, you, you, and you're as serious as a buyer for your home who hadn't put down earnest money yet. That's what you are. And so as a Christian that doesn't, so a Christian doesn't tithe, it's like a guy who says he'll buy a house and a car but won't put earnest money down. Really. And you say, how dare you? How dare you judge my faith? Oh, okay, okay. I mean, you can go ahead and lie to yourself if you want. You, can, you, you, can, you wouldn't accept that premise in any other area of your life, would you? No. And yet, you expect God to. Jesus said himself, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can tell what's important to you by what gets your two most valuable resources, your time and your money. The rest is just religious talk, y'all. That's all it is. So you want to know what you value? It's real easy. Look at what you spend money on. That's what you value. It's real easy. If I looked at your checkbook, at your bank statement, I could tell you what's, what's important to you and what you spend money on, okay? Whatever gets your money uh, is, is, is what's important to you, and the rest is just talk. That's truth number four. Whatever you believe gets, is important, gets your finances. Okay, and the truth number five is this, is that the 10-10-80 plan it has a 100% success rate. Like, what is the 10-10-80 plan? Well, I'm glad you asked, okay? The 10-10-80 plan is the, uh, what I consider to be the best Christian financial plan ever. It is like this, 10 to God, 10 to me, live on 80%. That's what the 10-10-80 plan is. 
My wife and I have been doing that since, uh, since, since we started getting paychecks. First 10 goes to God. It's called a tithe. Second 10 goes to me. I save. 80% is what I live on. And the fun part is when you can increase the first two and decrease the last number. When you can give more and you can save more, when you can move those numbers up and decrease the third, the life one. That's, that's where life starts to get fun. Because guys, honestly, there's nothing more fun and more joyful than blessing people, than giving, being generous. There's nothing more fun than, than having savings so that you don't run from crisis to crisis to crisis. You run from temporary inconvenience to temporary, temporary inconvenience. 10, 10, 80. So look at your, look at your income. Get your whole paycheck, the, the, your monthly income. That's 100%. 10% of that goes to God. 10% of that goes straight into savings. Okay, before you do anything, 10 to God, 10 to yourself, live on 80. You're like, well, I can't do that. Well, here's the truth. I've never seen a person on the 10-10-80 plan go broke or have financial chaos. Never. You do things God's way, things work out. Okay? Um, I, I, I will tell you this. I've spent a lot, I've wasted a lot of money in my lifetime. Just remember your number since age 18. I've wasted a lot of money too. You have too. And I've wasted a lot of money on stupid things that, that were pointless and worthless. But I'll tell you this. I've never wasted a dime when I've given it to God's kingdom. Never wasted a dime. I've spent a lot of money on a lot of stupid things, but I've never, ever wasted a dollar that went to God's kingdom to support this church, to support our missionaries over, over in India and Nepal and Dominican Republic and Haiti and Jamaica and Honduras, all those places that, 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 that we've given to. It's never been a wasted dollar. Um, the things that, that I have given to people to bless people, that's not been wasted. And so um, I will tell you this, and I will end with this. If you need financial counseling and your home is in chaos, I would love to counsel you. I, I'm a budget guy. I can help you with that. We also have Kevin Mink who's back there who's, who's got the same training as me. We would love to sit down with you and get a plan for you. Matthew 6, 31 through 34, Jesus says this. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. When you seek God's kingdom first, then he gives what you need. Then he gives peace. There's no chaos, no stress, no worry. Okay? When, you are, when, when, when your finances are good, when you're doing things God's way, not only does he bless you with what you need, he blesses you with peace. Now, how many of y'all could use a little bit of peace in life right now? Absolutely. How many of you all are just one bad happening from the next crisis? Okay? God wants to stop that. He wants to break that. But in order to do that, you're going to have to do things his way. I, I don't know about y'all, but I'm kind of tired of doing things my way. I'm kind of tired of stepping on landmines. Stop, I'm kind of tired about running into brick walls, being stupid. Um, how many of y'all have a PhD in D-U-M-B? Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I can teach the class. So guys, how about we just repent? And how about we say, God, we're going to do things your way. I'm done. I, I, can't, I can't do it anymore. My, my family's in chaos. My finances are a mess. Uh, I, 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 I'm a mess. I'm a wreck. And uh, Lord, I got to get this area of my life under control. And he goes, well, great news. I've got the plan for you. And if you are, if you are into that, I want to invite you guys back next week for part two of our series. And we're going to go through the entire Christian financial ethic. And by the time we are done, you guys will have a variable PhD in economics. And I hope that God blesses your home with peace as a result. God bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this church. Thank you for your word, which just becomes more and more precious to me every single day. The wisdom in it, God. Gosh, if I would have just done what you said, I'd be in such a better position in life right now. And so, Lord, I pray that, this, that, that we will just look at your word and follow it. Thank you for the blessing of your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for everything he taught us. And we pray, Lord, that you give, give, give us the strength to follow him and your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.